Happy Thanksgiving to you and to those of you who are not well enough to be able to be here with us. Good morning to you also. Uh, we can take our Bibles and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, but I am going to uh, make an announcement and then um, lead us in a couple prayers before we get into the preaching of the Word this morning. Uh, so first of all, if we could bring up that next slide, I would love to have you come to Birth Choice of Temecula's Open House this Friday. Um, we invited you to one of these, I think, that they did uh, a, year of go- a year ago, but just wanted to invite you again. So this is right down, um, if you take the uh, Winchester exit and, and go right, it's just a quarter mile down there, so it's just, it's just five minutes from here. Uh, really. And it's from 9 a.m. anytime between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. this Friday. It's just a, it's just a drop-in um, kind of a thing. So if you have not, um, if you kind of don't really know what goes on there at Birth Choice, or if you've never been there, or if you've kind of seen it but haven't really gotten an explanation of the, um, the way it works and the tools we use and how we, how we work with and help these folks, uh, would love to have you come. I'll be there. Um, and would love to be able to show you the fatherhood room and what we're trying to do to support uh, dads when couples are in these moments of unexpected pregnancy and trying to decide what to do and then trying to learn how to parent. And um, it is really, really remarkable what's going on there. So I realize it's the middle of a workday. 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. on a Friday is not something that's going to work for some of you. Um, But if any of you are free to make it there, and it's it's also a good chance to bring your kids and introduce them to it, um, because we can. Um, there's there's nothing there that's not kid friendly. Now, obviously, if people come without kids and want to ask hard questions about, you know, abortion or sex trafficking or other things, of course we can have those conversations. But you can also bring little kids and just give them a little taste of what Birth Choice is doing to to support moms and dads, um, and also give them their first little introduction maybe to to like we can show them some of the like fetal models that we have and stuff and start to introduce them to the reality of babies in the womb, not just, you know, clumps of cells uh, in the womb, that kind of thing. So if you want to bring your kids, bring them along. They, you, you really don't have to RSVP, but you will help them if you RSVP. So, and if you want more information about it, that Friends of Birth Choice is the, is the site to go through. So, um, and also this is a great time to bring things. If you want to donate um, for their like, Christmas toys or pajamas they're collecting this year or things like that. You could also bring those on Friday. And again, all of those details are there at that, that website that's down there in the, the bottom right-hand corner of the slide. So we'd love to see you there uh, Friday morning at Birth Choice of, of Temecula. Okay, uh, I wanted to just pray together for a couple things this morning and uh, wanted to give you a, just a brief update on Mike Matarazzo since that um, per request had gone out this week. Um, and he has been home from the hospital for several days. And so in, in some ways there was, there was good news um, after the kind of crisis last weekend, but still a lot of uncertainty. Um, he's got a number of follow-up appointments this week, and there's a lot of sickness in their household this weekend too. So it is a hard weekend for them. And so I hope you will continue to pray for Mike and Kathy and and their family. It's also a great weekend to remember our um, our missions partners around the world. It's sometimes easy 
to forget that things like Thanksgiving aren't uh, global holidays. <laughs> They're American holidays. And that makes it really hard when you are uh, in somewhere like Istanbul or Togo or uh, also don't forget the Rosales family who are in Kyrgyzstan uh, through this kind of a weekend. So we want to remember to pray for them, the Lord's faith and encouragement for them. And then, of course, while we rejoice in good things the Lord is doing and enjoy the blessings of our country, we're watching the continuing just horrific headlines in the Middle East. And this is a terrible weekend uh, of the watching the just the the nightmarish realities of, of the, the hostages and the exchanges and all the, the back and forth that's going on here. It's a, it's a horrible weekend in the Middle East. And so I want to pray again about that this morning. So let's pray. Father, we come together as a church family bringing our hearts and our burdens and our faith to You. We are praying this morning for um, the horrors of the hostage situations and the exchanges and all that is the, the turmoil in human governments and, and yet right down to earthly lives and children and parents and families this weekend. We pray that you would end the satanically inspired hatred of the Jewish people. We know that to pray for that to end is to pray for Jesus to come again. And so we do pray for that. And yet we pray that even until Jesus comes again, in mercy, you would grant hope. You would grant release to those who are captives right now. You would grant salvation through Christ to the suffering. We pray also for the Matarazzo family, for your healing and for your spiritual strengthening of their faith as they go through this long trial. We pray for our missions partners in Turkey today, as well as the Holritz family and the Kendall family and the Brock family. We also pray for the Rosales, for all of those who are not here in the blessings of our country on this weekend. Would you draw very near to them and may the spirit with them be better than any holiday and may the joy of Christ and your word the fellowship of some of your people bring them great joy and encouragement and refreshment from you this weekend. And now as we come to the preaching of your word, we look to your spirit to breathe the breath of life into our hearts in new ways today that we might leave today eager to grow in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for Thessalonians, we are coming right up on the hinge of this first letter to the Thessalonians. You may be aware that several of the New Testament letters have basically two major sections. And usually the second section focuses on teaching and practical application, and that's the case here. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 are pretty different from 1 Thessalonians 1 through 3. And because the content's different, um, it'll probably take us longer to study chapters 4 and 5 than it has the first three chapters. Some of you are in shock that after only nine sermons, we've made it to the end of 1 Thessalonians 3. You're wondering what disease afflicted Pastor Tim. Um, we will slow down soon, I promise. 
uh, because 1 Thessalonians 4 is quite a chapter. Uh, but what we have for now is uh, today's sermon from the end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4, next Sunday's sermon from the beginning of chapter 4, and then we'll take a little bit of a pause, uh, and beginning of the new year, we'll jump into the, the teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But right now, we're at the hinge. We're looking at the transition between the two sections. So let's review for just a moment. Remember, this whole letter is the result of a really important moment. It's that moment when Timothy arrived to give Paul an update about how the Thessalonians were doing. They were baby Christians who were under assault for their faith. And Paul was genuinely afraid that they were just going to turn away from Christ, as many have done. And so last Sunday, we talked about the moment when the news came and Paul learned that they were continuing to show the evidences of true salvation, especially faith, hope, love. And that just meant the world to Paul. He was encouraged. He was joyful. He said he couldn't stop thanking God enough. And he even said that the news was like life-giving for him to find out that they were still standing in the Lord. So let's read our text from last Sunday, chapter 3 beginning in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. All right, that's where we made it last Sunday. And now right here, between verses 9 and 10, we reach another kind of critical moment. We had one of those between verses 5 and 6, remember? As Paul waited for the news from Timothy... Now we've got another critical moment because we want to know, now that the great news has arrived, what's Paul going to do? The first two words of verse 10 are, as we. Okay? As we do what? What's going to come next? In other words, once it becomes clear that a person is demonstrating the evidence of true salvation, then what? Is that mission accomplished. You know, like we got them saved, time to move on. So let's start in verse 9 again, and I'm going to misread verse 10. Here we go. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? Remember, that's because they were showing the evidence of true salvation. Verse 10, as we move on to other people and other places. But that's not what it says, huh? Verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So, the Thessalonians were doing great. And yet, so the way it's worded, I think, on your handout, I'm going to pull it out here. You do have two handouts for this morning. I'll get to the big one later on. Uh, but for now, the, the one that says pleasing God more and more, it says, though they were doing well, Paul passionately prayed that he might be able to come and help them further. 
And so our theme this morning is the necessity of Christian growth, because this is emphasized very strongly in this passage. And so what we have this morning is just simply a refresher. I don't think this will be new for you. It is a chance for you and for me to renew our commitment to keep growing in the Lord. So back to verse 10. Once Paul says that he knows they're showing the characteristics of true conversion, then he says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. He was so excited for them, yet still praying that he could come and see them. And he, you know, typical Pauline fashion in verse 10, he says it very strongly. He says, we pray most earnestly. And the Greek wording he chose there is as strong as you can get for saying that. And then he says, we pray most earnestly night and day, meaning that this is a prayer he's repeating over and over and over again. It's constantly coming to mind. You know, we've already, and he actually, if you look at verse 11, he actually like writes the prayer. He says in verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So that's what he was praying passionately over and over again. We've already learned that there were satanic obstacles in the way. So probably what he's praying here is, God, would you clear the road? Get the satanic obstacles out of the way so that we can get back to Thessalonica. By the way, did God answer his prayer? He's praying it with all of his heart, very passionately, multiple times a day. Well, the answer is yes, but about six years later than Paul wanted. He did get to see the Thessalonians, but it was five or six years later. So this was a prayer that God answered, but He didn't answer quickly, despite Paul's earnest and constant prayers. Now, why did Paul want to see them face to face? Why was he so eager to come back and help them further? Well, we see a hint about that, or the first statement about that at the end of verse 10, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So we'll talk more about that in just a moment, but for now, just note that he wasn't just saying, it would be great to hang out together. I would enjoy being with you, though that was very true. He wanted to be face-to-face so that he could continue helping them grow. So the principle, the main principle this morning is found in that simple little phrase, believers should be growing in the Lord. And that's introduced right there at the end of verse 10 when he says, supply what is lacking. But that's just the first of four key phrases in this passage that emphasize that same principle that believers should be growing. It's kind of interesting because last week we talked about how believers should be standing. And now we're talking about how believers should be growing. How do those things connect? Well, there are lots of illustrations for that. If we use the plant illustration, we know that the more a plant grows in healthy ways, the more likely it will be that it can stand firm. Deep roots make for a strong plant. So in that sense, growing and standing firm are, are connected. Or if we switch over to physics, we know that in many things, stability comes from moving forward. What's the number one cause of bike crashes for children just learning to ride their bike? I'm afraid, so I'm going to slow down. <laughs> and what happens when you slow down? You fall. In many areas of life, the best way to stay strong, you know, sports and fitness and even 
hobbies and other things. The best way to stay strong is to keep pressing forward, to keep making progress, to keep learning more. So standing fast, which we learned about last week, requires moving forward, which is the theme this week. So believers should be growing in the Lord. So uh, let's read our entire passage now. And as we go through it, I'll just kind of point out, I'll number the four major phrases about about growth, and then we'll talk about those four. So verse 9 again, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and, here's number one, supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you And may the Lord make you, here's number two, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may, here's here's the third key phrase about growth, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you, here's number four, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. All right, so let's take those four phrases one at a time. First of all, verse, chapter 3, verse 10, Paul needed to supply what was lacking in their faith. That's pretty interesting because remember that what he was most encouraged about was the good news of their faith. And so that tells us that it's possible to be both really excited about how much you've grown as a Christian and to be thankful and rejoicing about that and at the same time to say, I could still grow a whole bunch more. (laughs) I'm still lacking. There's still ways I can grow. That's Christian thinking. We're not, on the one hand, discouraged and despairing as if we never grow, nor, on the other hand, are we self-satisfied that I'm fine. I've grown enough. The Christian mindset is gratitude and joy for how far God has brought us, combined with the humble realization that I'm still lacking. (laughs) There's so much more in which I could grow. Is that your mindset? Neither self-confident and stagnated nor kind of just disheartened and stagnated, but grateful and yet humbly saying, wow, so much more to grow. It's interesting to look at that word supply in verse 10 because that Greek word had many everyday uses that, that are really practical It make it easy to understand what Paul's talking about here. That word was used for repairing something, like think auto repair. That word was used for restoring things. This week I had a, uh, a, di- a distant family member showing me the dials that he just restored on the Alfa Romeo that he told me he's gonna, he thinks he's going to make about $150,000 on the turnaround of that car when he finishes it. So this word was used for restoring. This word was used for fixing something up. Think Chip and Joanna and fixer-upper. This word was used for training. We have an example in ancient Greek literature of this word used for a trainer helping an athlete get in condition 
And this word was used for equipping. I think of my pastor friend in Alaska and his expertise at how to pack, how to pack for backpacking two weeks in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. That's equipping. This word was used in all those kinds of ways. And don't they all apply to us? Don't we all have broken parts in need of repair? And aren't we all fixer-uppers with problems but potential? And don't we all need training for spiritual fitness? And don't we all need equipping for the wilderness of this world? And so the question to ask is, are those the kind of things that are going on in your life right now? Are those things that are happening in your life right now? Believers should be growing in the Lord. All right, on to the next phrase in verse 12 where he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Increase and abound. So that's a phrase about growth, right? Those are two words that are very similar in Greek. Paul probably combined them just to emphasize the importance of this growth. You could write down the word overflow because that's the picture here. More than enough. Abundance. Not just bare minimum growth. I had a citrus tree that I was struggling with last year, and I finally just gave the guy an ultimatum. You either show me this much growth or you're gone. And he didn't, and he's gone. Not just bare minimum growth, not just enough to survive. This is talking about abundant growth. And in verse 12, Paul gives a very practical example of this for them in their situation when he says, increase and abound in love for one another and for all. So first of all, increasing the bounding in love for one another, that might sound like not a big deal to us, but that church would have been an extremely diverse place. I don't know if you remember the very first sermon when I, I divided our auditorium into sections and I talked about the different portions of the, that Thessalonian church based on what their background and what they were saved out of. To bring together a group of diverse people like that who had never known about Jesus until now and had believed in him and get them to love one another was really hard. And yet there was something harder because they had a community that hated them and was persecuting them and was trying to destroy their faith and destroy that new little church. And so I think what Paul's hinting at here is that increase in abounding in love means learning to love one another and even learning to love your enemies out there who hate you and want to destroy this church and your faith. So believers should be growing, not just the bare minimum of growth, but the kind of growth that results in overflowing. The third phrase that emphasizes this is in verse 13. So that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Now, I'm going to talk about verse 13 more in in a little bit. But for now, just note that each of these words has the idea of growth. The word establish is referring to increasing firmness and strength. The word blameless obviously suggests that we're growing toward blamelessness. And the word holiness points us to the God who is holy, who is perfectly set apart from sin, but there are ways that we can grow to be more holy. Be ye holy as I am holy, he said. 
so we can grow to be more like Him in holiness. So that whole phrase, establish your hearts blameless in holiness, that's a phrase that points to growth. And then the fourth phrase is in chapter 4, verse 1, that you do so more and more. Let's read that whole verse again, 4 verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So there again is the the joyful, humble mindset of a Christian. I want to grow more and more. Not because I'm despairing. Not because I'm fearful. Not because I'm sinfully discontented or anything like that. You can be a joyful, grateful, contented Christian and at the same time, you really want to grow more and more. That's the way it should be. So, we've seen these four key phrases about Christian growth. And before we we move ahead, let me make three comments about those four phrases. All right, first of all, we need to make sure we note the balance of God's sovereign hand in Christian growth together with our human responsibility to seek to grow. So look at the four phrases and think about them in that regard. Okay, the first phrase, supply what is lacking in your faith. Who is going to do that? Who's going to supply what is lacking in their faith? In verse 10, that we may see you and supply what is lacking in your faith. So this is talking about the role of Paul and his team in their growth. All right? So the first one is about Paul and his team and their role. Second phrase, verse 12, increase and abound. Who's going to make them increase and abound according to verse 12? May the Lord make you increase and abound. There is God's sovereign hand in our growth. He's going to do it. Verse 13, who is going to establish their hearts blameless in holiness? Well, verse 12, may the Lord. Verse 13, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. God is going to do that. Specifically, the Lord Jesus, it says, is going to do that. Okay, chapter 4, verse 1. Do so more and more. Who's going to do that? Them, right? That's their responsibility. As you ought, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Paul's urging them to grow. So one phrase is about what Paul and his team needed to do to help them grow. One phrase is about what they needed to do in seeking to grow Two phrases are about how God is the one who's going to do it. God is the one, the sovereign one with power to cause growth in our lives. And at the same time, we are urged to grow more and more. And God uses people to help supply what is lacking in our lives. So you see how it just, you combine those things together and it just keeps us out of both ditches. It keeps us out of the ditch of, well, God has to make me grow, so there's nothing I can do. Probably all of us have parents. as parents, if you've taught your kids about the power and sovereignty of God, then you've had a moment when your kids blamed God for, their, <laughs> for whatever their sinful failure was, right? It's God's fault that I hit my brother. 
So that's one ditch. Well, all my growth's up to God, nothing I can do. And the other ditch is, I don't need God, I can do it myself. And this passage instead brings together the biblical truths that God is the sovereign one with the power for your, your growth, and you need to seek to grow, and you need people to help you grow. Those truths all fit together into the, what we call the Christian doctrine of sanctification or growth. All right, uh, the next thing I wanted to point out about these phrases is that this spiritual growth here is based upon the Word of God. You do not grow without His Word. And we see that in uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. First of all, in verse 1, he says, As you received from us how you ought to walk and please God, do so more and more. And then verse 2, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So we've already talked about how and why the teaching of the Apostle Paul was the Word of God. And so he's saying, take that authoritative teaching and now, based upon that, grow. Christian growth always comes from the Word of God. That's why there in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the heart of Christian growth is just this constant, Lord, what does your Word say? How can I understand it? How can I believe it? How can I apply it? How can I live it? today. And then the third thing I wanted to note about these three phrases is that if we're curious about how the Thessalonians needed to grow, all we have to do is read the rest of the letter because Paul's going to write them about the most pressing areas that he knows about. And you know what the very first one is, is going to be? It's going to be sex because they were coming, most of them Gentile converts, coming out of a very sexually immoral culture, just like we live in a very sexually immoral culture, and they were lacking in that area. You realize that Christianity is so different from the world that when someone is born again and comes to faith in Christ, there are still going to be in their heart and their life many things they don't know about. They don't understand the full picture of a biblical sexual ethic. They don't understand who God is, how He created, what male and female is about, what sex is about, what gender is about, what marriage is about. Now, they're going to have the Spirit in them, and I'm not saying they're just going to continue running and living for the world right after they're saved, but there are going to be a lot of things that have to be taught. One, one commentator used the word, re-socialization. <laughs> like you've just been so soaked in one culture, you hardly even realize how soaked you are in it. And so there's so much teaching that has to be done. So as we go through the rest of the letter, we'll find out some of the key things that the areas in which the Thessalonians needed to, to grow. All right, so everything we're talking about falls under that phrase you see on your handout, believers should be growing in the Lord. But that heading is like the beginning of a sentence that then continues with two motivations on the back. So if you turn it over now, believers should be growing in the Lord because we are going to see the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 13. So that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Paul is clearly looking ahead to the day 
when we are going to be before God, in the presence of God, and we will see the Lord. And words cannot express what a huge moment that will be. The most important moment of our existence is the moment when we meet our Creator. It is a moment that should strike fear in every sinner. Because it is the moment when it will be too late if you did not turn to Jesus Christ in this life. And it is the moment when nothing will be hidden. And there will be no games left to be played. And there will be no excuses to be made. It will be you and God. And yet, Paul's not talking here to those who have rejected Christ. He's talking to young, faithful Christians. And you see, in verse 13, how he sneaks in a little reminder that when they stand before God, they will not just be standing before God, they will be standing before their... Do you see the word? Our God and Father. They will be standing before their Father who loves them in Christ and has taken them as his beloved children. It is a sober, awesome moment, but not truly a moment of fear for those who are in Christ. And that is why we can look ahead to that moment and desire that we might stand before God blameless in holiness. Just one second. If you are theologically savvy, you might be thinking, okay, wait a second. We're not ever going to like grow to be completely blameless in holiness. Like that is beyond possibility for us. And that's true in this life. And you might also be thinking the only way we can be blameless in holiness is because our sin was credited to Christ and he paid for it in full and Christ's righteousness was credited to us so God sees us as blameless in holiness. And that's true too. You're right. And yet, there is a strong Bible emphasis on growing because we're looking forward to the day when we're going to see Jesus. We're looking forward to the day when we're going to be in the presence of God. And that encourages us to grow today. Now, that's a theme that is too big for us to tackle this morning. But if you want a very thorough summary of that theme in the New Testament, go to gbcmarietta.church and search for the words, Why Discipleship? And that's going to take you back to a sermon from the Galatians series in which we, we summarize this in, in depth. And um, if you're watching this, um, I've given our, out a handout this morning, but if you go to that, if you search for Why Discipleship and go to that page, find the icon that's for the handout, and it's there, and it'll give you, you can get the same handout that we are, we are uh, looking at this morning. So you take that now, the handout that says Why Discipleship. We're certainly not going to go through all this this morning. But basically, this is just a a very concise explanation of why we grow and why we help each other grow as as Christians. So, jump down to the fourth paragraph.
paragraph in the summary, so the very bottom of the front, understanding God's plan to completely conform us to the image of Christ someday should motivate us to pursue growing conformity as disciples today. Anticipating that we will be fully changed then when we fully know Him encourages us to pursue growing holiness, maturity, and transformation through growing knowledge of Him now. And now skip a paragraph. Independence upon the Spirit, we also seek to be used as God's instruments to see Christ formed in others. This costly ministry of discipleship is motivated not by sight, but by the fellowship with Christ, the joy of participation in God's purpose, and the faith-filled anticipation of the completion of that purpose. And here's the completion in the next sentence. We will stand in the presence of the triune God for the presentation of the sons of God, resulting in the preeminence of the Son as the firstborn among many brothers. Therefore, we will eagerly pursue our own discipleship and the discipleship of others, which just means we'll pursue our own growth and the growth of others when we understand God's purpose to conform us into the image of Christ for our eternal blessing and His glory. Now, we can't talk about that this morning, but notice all the little footnotes that take you down to all these big themes and have all these references you could go and study to put together the different themes uh, that are reflected there. The point is that Paul, so I hope you'll go study that. The point is that Paul, the New Testament, is very excited about this day when we are going to stand before the Lord in the image of Christ for the glory of God. And so here's what I want us to go back to your handout now. Here's what I want us to say for this morning. Okay, our big headings are believers should be growing in the Lord because we are going to see the Lord. And now you've got a blank here. Blank is how the Lord gets us ready to see Him. What is it? What blank is how the Lord gets us ready to see Him? Well, I want to answer that from the grammar of verses 12 and 13. So look with me again. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that... See the so that? So we could summarize verse 12 this way. May the Lord make you grow. That's, what's, it's, that's, about, that's what it's about, right? Verse 12, may the Lord make you grow, verse 13, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. First of all, isn't it beautiful that He's the one getting us ready to stand before Him? That's a beautiful part of verse 13. But do you see the purpose? May he make you grow, verse 12, for this purpose, so that he might establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. So, how does God himself get you ready to stand before God himself? Growing. That's how. That's what goes in the blank. Growing. He makes you grow. He helps you grow. Christian growth. That's how the Lord gets us ready to see him. 
growing is how the Lord gets us ready to see him. That's what this passage says. And then other passages tell us that seeing the Lord should motivate us to grow. So, back to the outline on our handout. Believers should be growing in the Lord because we are going to see the Lord. And the best way to get ready to see the Lord is to grow. And we want to please the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Do that more and more. We grow because we want to please the Lord. Now again, if you're theologically savvy, you might be thinking, wait a second, I thought God was already completely pleased with us because we're in Christ. And yes, that's true. In the ultimate sense, God is fully pleased with us. We are fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully as children, fully redeemed. And yet we have a real, living, daily relationship with God through Christ. And in that daily relationship, you can please Him more and less. Does your heart say, I don't want to do things that I know displease God. I don't want to do that because it wouldn't please God. I'm all alone. Nobody knows I'm going to do this. No people know I'm going to do this, but I don't want to displease God. And does your heart say, I would love to grow so that I please God more? Now, I know that all of us want to grow in our desires in both of those things. But if, if those two questions I just asked don't connect with your heart, okay, I ask these two questions. Does your heart say, I don't want to do things that I know would displease God? And does your heart say, I would love to grow so that I please God more? If that is not what your heart says, that is a serious cause for concern. Because God plants those seeds in the born-again heart. The seeds of a desire to please God and to not displease God. When we do, when we think this way, when we want to please the Lord, we're just simply following the example of Jesus. John 8.29, you could write that on there. John 8.29 Jesus' purpose was to please the Father. And so it ought to be our purpose too. Believers should be growing in the Lord because we are going to see the Lord and we want to please the Lord. In John Stott's little commentary on 1 Thessalonians, he uses three helpful words about pleasing God. And I just want to share those with you and then I added one myself. So four, four words about pleasing God as we close. Number one, Stott says, pleasing God is radical. And what he means by that is, it rules out anything that doesn't please God. There are no games to be played here. There's no room for you, you know, like, I'm going to look at the rules and I'm going to find a little loophole. That's That's not pleasing God. So this is a radical kind of obedience. I only want to do what pleases God. And so it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It doesn't matter what I feel all that matters is whether God would be pleased with us. That's not religion. That, that is a radical relationship with God. So first of all, pleasing God is radical. Second of all, another word from Stott, pleasing God is flexible. And what he means is that pleasing God is a principle that can guide us in any situation. We don't have to have a specific rule from God about everything because we have this principle to, to light our path. What would please God in this situation? Thirdly, 
Pleasing God is personal. It puts the focus not on rules or a checklist, but on a person. If I get an anonymous note slipped under the doormat that says, mow your lawn, I'm going to ignore it. I might ignore it on purpose. I've been gone this week. I'm behind. I'm not going to mow my lawn for the person who hid behind an anonymous note. But if my dad, who loves a well-kept lawn, sends me a note that says, hey, Tim, you should mow your lawn. I'm going to do it because I want to please my dad. So is that what your obedience is like? Is your obedience personal? Because you love your dad, your father. And then finally, the other word from Dr. Stott, pleasing God is also progressive. And that really is our main point today. There's always room to grow, always more ways in which we could please God, ways in which we could please God more. And here's the beauty of Christian growth. That's not a burden. The fact that there is always room to grow is not a burden. The fact that you could please God more is not a burden. If you ever, some people try to learn a language when they're not, you know, when your brain's not as pliable as a child. And when you try to learn a language, you run into these walls, and it is so frustrating. You hit a point where you just feel like, I'm not making any more progress. I'm never going to get. Anybody who's gone to language school will tell you about those walls where they thought, I can't. My brain can't do it anymore. It's so frustrating to not be growing. Or those of you who are into fitness, weightlifting, running, you've probably hit some of those walls too, where you're making progress, your times are getting better, your weights are getting heavier, and then you plateau. And it's like you just can't break through. It happens in music. You hit a certain level and learning an instrument or something, and you've made a lot of progress, and now you're like, ah, I can't break through to the next level. It happens in art. It happens in our jobs. People talk about being stuck at work right? And what we mean by that is there's no room for promotion. There's no, I'm not learning anything new. I'm just spinning my wheels. It is never that way in the Christian life. Part of the beauty and the vibrance of the Christian life is the continual opportunity to grow more and more. God's Word is just boundless in its depth. There's so much to learn. There's so much to have applied to our hearts. The body of Christ is just endless in the opportunities to love and serve and make a difference in people's lives. The the Christ-like character being shaped in us is just endless in the potential for us to become more and more like Christ. That doesn't mean it's going to be big. That doesn't mean it's going to be fancy. I was reminded this week of the, the little phrase from somebody we we overestimate the potential for growth in the short term and we underestimate the potential for growth in the long term. And that's very often how it works in our lives. I can say, I think without a doubt, the most encouraging seasons of my life, overall, I mean just encompassing everything, the most encouraging seasons of my life, are the seasons when I can tell God is growing me. Whatever the circumstances are that are growing, going on, they might be great or they might be hard. Church might be great or church might be hard. Family might be great or family might be hard. Those aren't the biggest factor in my overall encouragement. The biggest factor in my encouragement in life is whether or not I can tell that God is growing me. So, 
Is it a season of growing for you? Now, if you went, looked through those four phrases back on the first page, would you be able to look at those four and say, yes, it's slow. Yes, it's gradual. But I can see some things in my life that what, maybe there's been some lacking and God has been supplying there's been some fixing upping going on. Is that a sentence? There's been some restoring or some refurbishing. I can see some things where there's been some increasing, some abounding. There's been some steps toward holiness. There's been some more and more in some things that were already there, but they've been growing more. So whatever your answer is to that question, it's a great thing to talk to the Lord about, right? If you've been growing, then two wonderful things to say to the Lord are, number one, thank you. And number two, oh, guard and nourish my heart that I might not now get puffed up in my head and think I've arrived and, and quickly turn from you. And if you haven't been... Um, If you say, I, I, I just, I'm not sure I'm growing. You are not in this weird little category over here where there are all these wonderful growing Christians and then there's weird little you. Okay? Don't let Satan tell you that lie. Everybody's doing great except me. Because then we hide in our corner. We don't talk to our brothers and sisters. We don't say, hey, would you pray for me about this? We don't say, hey, here's what's going on in my life. We don't say, hey, how are you doing? We just hide in our corner and say, poor me. I guess I'm the one Christian who stinks at this growing thing. Every one of us has been there over and over and over and over again. And I can guarantee you right now that if I had a raise of hands, and we're not going to do this, if I had a raise of hands of the people in the room that would say, I'm just not sure I'm growing right now. Here's my guess. I'm not going to do it. But my guess is that it would be about half the room that would say, maybe, I mean, I hope so, I think so, but I'm not real sure. And then I think another half the room would say, you know what, I really think I could put my finger on some things God is definitely growing me in right now. That's the way it works. So if you're at the point where you're like, I'm not sure if I'm growing, go to God, don't run from him. Come to one another. Don't run from one another. Let him and his love and his word and his people spur you on to take those, those next steps. Let us help each other press on to know the Lord. Father, I pray that you would now answer the prayers of your people and let the work that you have begun in our hearts this morning continue as we go. Stir us up to seek you, to love you, and to long to grow in you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.